No, it's like the bridge to nowhere, actually. It's in oh. Alaska. Instead of a road to nowhere, you're on a bridge to nowhere. Yeah. It's like that Talking Head song. Uh, I love that song, by the way. Uh, we're not sure where Hunter is. Uh, hopefully he'll join us at some point. Uh, but we you require the- more Vespian gas. Oh, God, there you are. I didn't even... Oh, so- I'm sorry, Hunter. Hunter, on everyone. Us. He's a ninja. He's a n- podcast co-host ninja. <laughs> he is Johnny Karate from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> you do have the beard for it, man. Uh, folks, we do have a guest this week. Uh, where in Hawaii are you uh, right now, Trevor? Uh, just uh, behind Waikiki in uh, Honolulu. Okay. So is that the big island? No, uh, Wahoo. Oh, okay. I, I, like many public school students, I'm not super familiar <laughs> with states that aren't mine. Uh, but joining well, this us game from- must have sold pretty well because it set him up in Hawaii. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, maybe. Uh, joining us from Hawaii, the creator of the Starfleet series, and he also worked on games like Empire and Perfect General way back in the awesome days, uh, Trevor Sorensen. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, it is a, it is a joy because I'm going to tell you what, Trevor, finding you was easier than finding other people who've worked on older games because, oh my God, I've been trying to track down people that worked on older games for the longest time. And you had a website with an email. I was like, boom, done. It was so easy. And, and he answered. <laughs> yes, and he answered. That was really nice. That's because the warning had not reached him yet. <laughs> Well, I, st- I still get fan mail occasionally from around the world, even back from my uh, Decus game in 1981 of Starfleet. Oh, my God. That's that's pretty awesome. So, folks, if you're not familiar with the uh, Starfleet games, uh, just a quick rundown. Back in the um, in the 1970s, there were a lot of uh, Star Trek, quote-unquote, tactical um Starship games that worked on like a grid and you used like the new, you used degrees to move around. It was completely manual. But like back in the day, it was like amazing because like, oh my God, I'm on the bridge. I'm fighting Klingons. This is amazing. Even though it's just a K because it's completely nasty graphics. I remember one that it, it was actually, there was not even a screen on the terminal. It was a tractor fed paper and they were playing Star Trek oh God, on that. What? So talk about burning a ream, a ream of paper. <laughs> trying to, but yes, but yeah. So um, <clears throat> this game uh, was a refinement. The first game was a refinement of those original Star uh, Trek games. So Trevor, could you, uh, for the folks who don't know, kind of take us through the, some of the history of how Starfleet uh, came to be? Okay. Well, um, for those of you that haven't met me before. Uh, this is not a typical Hawaiian accent. I'm originally from Australia, um, although my <laughs> accent has been Americanized over the decades. Really? Uh, but, but it's also I'm, a small island in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, small population-wise. Uh, but anyway, I finished high school in Australia, and I came to the U.S. to... Uh, go to university, uh, ended up in the, at the University of Kansas, of all places. You know, often people ask me, how could someone who was a surfer in uh, Australia in high school end up in Kansas, arriving in the middle of winter, by the way? Uh, and the only reason is because I had met a professor 
from uh, the University of Kansas in aerospace engineering my last year of high school. And when I found out my father was being transferred to the U.S., he was my only contact with the university, and he arranged for me to go there. So I uh, got a, a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering, uh, worked for six months in Dayton, Ohio, which was horrible, and uh, on as an aircraft structural engineer. Then I got laid off, so I went back to grad school at Kansas working on uh, Pioneer Venus. And while at grad school, I uh, noticed some, some people on the terminal playing some sort of a Star Trek game, and I, I was fascinated by it. And so uh, I got an, and started playing it as well. And by the way, um, if I didn't have a terminal available, I would play it on one of those uh, 300 board um like teletype machines with the roll of yellow paper. And so oh each grid or update had to be printed out, Jim, just as, as you uh, uh, mentioned. And uh, uh, a little bit later, and I, and I thought that this was a really cool game. It was on a, a G635 computer. And I was uh, unable to find the authors of it because there were some, I thought, improvements that could be made to it. And uh, the department got a HP uh, 9830 desktop computer that had a thermal printer and a 32-character LED display, and it used BASIC and had 4K of RAM. And so I, I played around. I thought, well, you know, uh, maybe I could write my own. So I wrote my own um, Starfleet game or Star Trek game uh, called Starfleet Battles that uh, would give you alerts on the LED display, but all the tactical displays and long-range displays and everything were printed out on the thermal printer. And um, so I, I was able to mimic the the one on the the uh, GE computer, uh, pretty much, and then they uh, doubled the RAM. I got up to 8K of RAM on it, and I was able to uh, uh, add quite a few more features to it. And um, this is about the time I got my master's degree. And for my doctors, I went out to NASA Ames to uh, work on another part of Pioneer Venus, and I had access to a PDP 1140 uh, there, and I converted the the basic program into Fortran, and uh, and with you know that extra memory and capability, I just kept uh, adding new features, more and more new features to it uh, for the the two or three years that I was out at uh, at NASA Ames, um, and then in 19 80, I got a job down at the Johnson Space Center as a contractor, uh, as a guidance control engineer on the space shuttle. And um, in my spare time, I continued to to work on this Fortran version of Starfleet. And then in 1981, I got a lot of my fellow engineers hooked on it. And uh, 1981, uh, submitted it to DECAS. Uh, the deck users group and it, they send it out worldwide and uh, so after that point you know I started to get a, a lot of uh, a lot of mail concerning that particular game um, 
And uh, about this time, you know, well, in, in 1977 or so, I think the, the Commodore Pet came out and the Apple II came out. And, and you know, these were very promising. But uh, my program was written in Fortran and none of those could, could handle it. And then finally, the IBM PC came out. And I thought, ah, great, you know, we, uh, uh, I got an IBM PC, and uh, turns out the Fortran compiler was a hog, and so we ended up, uh, some, some friends and I ended up converting it back to BASIC uh, so that we could run it on the IBM PC. And uh, we decided that we would um, uh, try and, and market the game and some other games, uh, and so eight of us formed a partnership called uh, Cygnus. And in 1983, we uh, released the first Starfleet One game, which was in Interpretive Basic, uh, which was really slow and, and everything. Uh, I think it was 1984, they came out with the uh, Basic compiler, so we were able to compile it and get which is uh, the one that you probably... Uh, played Brian, and uh, it continued to be a a garage operation. Uh, we we uh, got several distributors, uh, Babbage's and and uh, uh, Egghead Software, and and some of the others uh, interested in it, and we sold a few thousand of Starfleet One, and we also started converting it over to the Atari, uh, the, uh, the Apple II, uh, eventually to the Macintosh, uh, the Amiga, Atari ST, etc. And uh, in 1986, I was contacted by Electronic Arts, and they really liked Starfleet 1. They, they thought it was a really good game, and they asked if we would be interested in becoming an affiliated label of theirs. And so they flew me out to the Bay Area, and I met with the president of EA, and uh, we signed an agreement and uh, became an affiliate label. At this time, I felt we had outgrown the partnership, so we incorporated. Uh, and something that, that almost nobody knows, the first name of our corp incorporation was uh, of our corporation was Starfleet Headquarters. <laughs> and that's awesome and and uh i decided you know um that that was a little bit too limiting and confusing and stuff and uh one of my friends said you know it should be some sort of like an interstellar name like maybe interstell corporation i thought oh yeah that that's really cool so we changed it to interstell corporation and, you know, it was about that time, 86, 87, that EA came out with Starflight. And uh, the company inside of Starflight was Interstell Corporation, which was, you know, purely coincidence. Oh, I was wondering about that because I'm like, wait a minute. They wait. Because <laughs> I'm a, I'm See, a Starflight. See, I always thought man, there was so. a link to that. So I guess not. Apparently not. Yeah, just coinky dink. That's amazing. Yeah, we at, by the time that uh, EA picked us up, we had several games. Uh, we had a couple for the Commodore 64, Balacon Raider, 
and Stinger. Uh, we had one called Quizam. Um, uh, we, I think, we had just come out or just about to come out with Empire. And they, they went ahead and picked up most uh, of our games. And I can remember, you know, once they, once we incorporated, they placed an order for something like about 30,000 games total. And, you know, which was, uh, an order of magnitude more than we had sold. So we, we, uh, rented a facility, got a shrink wrap machine, you know, hired people. And I remember the first day, uh, uh, semi-trailer the, from EA came and pulled up and we just loaded it full of boxes of our games and uh, it was at that time I thought wow we've really made it into the big times so. that's fantastic I got to admit uh, Starfleet I think was the second game I ever owned on a DOS computer Starflight was the first and then I think I saw Starfleet in a Radio Shack or a Babbage's it was one of those two back in the day and I was like I have to have this and yeah, it was very different than Starflight because Starflight's combat. Did you ever play the Starflight Starflight at all? I, I played <clears throat> some, not you know, just sort of to get an idea of what it was like, but I never really got into it. That's fair. It's a huge game, but like their combat was very simple. It was like beep beep, move, fire, move. And but your combat was the complete like opposite, like purely tactical. Like have to get your angles right and everything. Oh, yeah, and so I played the hell out of that. Now, how did – I've always wondered this. How did you avoid any legal issues with Paramount? Okay, well, the um, – Good question. Yeah, that is an excellent question. After we formed Cygnus and uh, we were getting ready to, to release or market Starfleet 1, it was a Star Trek game. Yeah, with Klingons and Romulans and everything. And I contacted Paramount Pictures uh, to get, you know, see about getting a license or permission to, to do that. And a, um, uh, an, a lawyer from Gulf Plus Western, Gulf and Western Corporation, who at the time I think owned Paramount or something, contacted me. And they said that, unfortunately, they had already licensed the IBM computer games to another company. It might have been Interplay or some. I, I don't know who. I forget who it was. But they'd already it licensed been, it. I think it might have been Simon & Schuster because they were doing a lot of the text adventures at the time. Uh, it might have been. I, uh, but anyway, so I said, okay, well, we will go ahead and change it. Uh, we'll put it in a different universe, and and but you know th- there are still some some common terms like Starfleet, photon torpedoes, and stuff like that 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 we'd like to keep. And they they told us that was okay, uh, just as long as we divor- diverse it uh, and and divorce it from the uh, the Star Trek world. And so that's that's what uh what we did and you know we didn't have any problems with that until the wow. 1990s but uh that's that that's a different story wait what happened in the 90s i didn't hear about this what happened well um 
I, I was living in, in 1990, we moved to uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and I worked as a contractor in the Naval Research Lab uh, operating a uh, Star Wars satellite. And um, I, I was working on the version 1.5 of Starfleet 2 at that time. Uh, 1.5B, I think, actually came out in 1991. And my wife was working as like a paralegal for a uh, trademark and copyright firm in Washington, D.C., one of the, the big ones. And um, there was um, one of my former partners had taken my Starfleet design document and copyrighted it under his name. And, and when we were coming out with uh, Star Legions, uh, I got a letter from his attorney in Houston telling us that we need to cease and desist because his client owned all the, the property rights to the Starfleet and Starfleet Universe. And um, anyway, uh, I hired my wife's firm and they basically uh, blew, blew the... Uh, the, the firm in Houston out of the water and uh, it it turns out that he had filed the copyright illegally and I had the original document under my name and, and everything like that and uh, <laughs> epic fail on his nice. part nice <laughs> and, and anyway uh, but initially I said when, when it wasn't certain what the um, situation was well see it came about because Starfleet One, I copyrighted it under the name of Interstell uh, Corporation instead of my own name. And the um, when I got out of Interstell, I sold my shares of Interstell to a guy that used to be one of our managers. And then he sold the rights to Starfleet One or that to this this former friend of mine or colleague of mine. And so he claimed that, that he had all the rights to Starfleet. And so it was a little bit murky. Uh, Starfleet, too, I, I copyrighted in my own name. So I, uh, we decided to play it safe and change. And it was originally called Legions of Krella, uh, was, was Star Legions. And we had, um, you know, we'd already put an ad in the, in uh, computer gaming world or something for Legions of Krella. And that's that's where my friend uh, found out about it. And so uh, we went ahead and decided to change it to Star Legions. And in the ad and stuff, we sort of were ambiguous about its connection to the Starfleet series. Uh, but then, you know, once we we won uh, the the legal battle, uh, we sort of liked the name Star Legion, so we just kept it. I'll be honest, but, I wasn't aware of the connection until I started doing the research for this show. So back in the day when I saw on the shelves, I'm like, I don't know what this is. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I didn't recognize anything. Uh, so I was like, okay. I don't know. Um, Small. But, Hunter, just, I, I didn't really finish answering your question. I'm sorry. And Well, then, no, that's okay. I mean, that was a good comment to put right there, but... Um, with the uh, at the time, I said okay. I, I went ahead and copyrighted the Starfleet series document under my name. Then, 
and I got a notice from the copyright office that it superseded that previous one because we proved evidence that that was a false uh, copyright. And so everything was clear for me to to have ownership of the Starfleet series. Um, and I thought, well, we better uh, go ahead and uh, register the trademark for Starfleet. And so I applied for a registration of Starfleet and Starfleet Command, I think, uh, for, uh, and, you know, they, they publish it in a register and, and, uh, there's a period of two or three months or something where it's open for challenge or comment. And, you know, I hadn't heard anything. And then all of a sudden I got a letter from Paramount Pictures challenging uh my uh copyright registration application and the reason that they they did well i i um told them that i had permission from paramount pictures to use use that that name uh although that law firm was no longer associated with them and they you know they they basically didn't recognize that but they had starfleet academy computer game about to come out and they didn't want any legal problems with us if we had it registered Starfleet did and I, I consulted my lawyer and they said well it's going to cost a lot of money to, to battle Paramount and so I graciously bowed down and said I, I'm not I'm going to withdraw my application for registering Starfleet so you know after that there was no problem that's crazy. Yeah, that that is that is nuts. Uh, I yeah. do have um, I do have another question for you, real quick. Uh, to kind of it's it's off it's a little off topic, but I want to go back to something you said, uh, kind of offhandedly. So, how long did you work uh, with the Star Wars satellites? Okay, um, in nineteen ninety, uh, well, I got my doctorate. Uh, working at NASA Ames in uh, May 1979, and I was burned out. I had uh, taken one day off, I think it was New Year's Day or something, in the previous three months, and I was averaging uh, 100 hours a week uh, working on my, my doctoral dissertation, and, and I was completely burned out. There was no way I wanted to, to go work uh, right away, so... In June 79, I packed up and went uh, to Europe and went hitchhiking for six months around Europe and the Middle East. And um, by the time I was done with, with that, I was ready to come back and, and uh, earn money and get you know uh, regular meals and things like that. And uh, in February... Uh, 1980, I uh, uh, let's see, I went down. I got the job with with uh, down in Houston as a as a uh, working on the space shuttle, which I had until uh, 1987. I I went over to Interstell full time to to run the company and work on Starfleet two, and then with uh, uh, Starfleet 
Well, there, there were some problems with the, the company and um, a legal takeover bid and stuff, hostile takeover bid and that. And so in 1990, I uh, got a applied for different places, and I got a job with uh, Bendix Field Engineering in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, as a contractor in the Naval Research Lab. And they were operating a, a the uh, uh, satellite called LACE, uh, low uh, power atmospheric compensation experiment, but they had an ultraviolet plume instrument on it, and I was hired as an, uh, the observations manager for that satellite. And what we did was track uh, rockets, like uh, large sounding rockets and ICBMs that were fired. And we would track and try and uh, image their plumes uh, using ultraviolet rather than infrared uh, instruments. And and one of the cool things was that the, well, one of the problems with ultraviolet is that you have the ozone layer that filters out most of the ultraviolet, and especially in the daytime. And so when we tracked uh, ICBM launch uh, from Vandenberg, we, in order to uh, to get the camera on target, we had to use a joystick. So we had real-time joystick control of our camera on the satellite uh, uh, tracking uh, ICBM launch. And so, so uh, I did that for a couple years, and then I was the lunar mission manager for the Clementine mission to the moon in uh, 1994. And, uh, and then... Uh, worked on uh, a couple other satellite projects after that. Well, that's really crazy, man. Like not only did you like work on real space stuff, but you actually made space games. It's like the kind of it's almost like the the, the full circle of being awesome in my opinion. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you in on a, a little secret that uh, isn't in in my history that that I sent you, Brian. Um, is this when where we you talk formed- about the UFOs? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there please, is a story. Please tell behind, us. Please tell us. There is a story behind that too. When when Clementine was orbiting the moon, we took nearly two million pictures, digital pictures of the moon, and every one of them was beamed back and shown on the display in our operations center. And I got onto some chat lines like uh, CompuServe and and a couple other. I had some forums, and there were people claiming that Clementine had discovered alien structures on the moon and, and we were covering up and stuff. And so I had fun. And they were in before Hoagland. Yeah. And and I had fun getting online and saying, listen, I was in charge of the lunar operation of Clementine and we did not see anything like that. I mean, we, we saw some pretty cool-looking craters and stuff, but but we did not see any, any uh, structures like that. So I where mean, wish- is the monolith exactly, like... <laughs> no, uh, I, I, love, I love this, this stuff because Brian and I had an opportunity, and un- unfortunately, he couldn't make it to the dinner. But we were going to sit down to dinner with Buzz Aldrin one night, oh. and, uh, and he had a family thing, so he had to uh, kind of miss it. But I, I was telling Brian, it was just like when he gets here, just make sure you got your phone out because I'm going to ask him about UFOs, and he's going to punch me. Oh. And, and I, you know, I want that on the internet. So, Trevor, we have a question from the chat about um, the Duga radar. It's apparently an over-the-horizon Russian radar system. Have you ever heard of that? 
I've I've heard about it, but I don't know anything uh, about that. And and I'm I'm not stonewalling or anything. I, I really don't know anything about no, it. No, no, no. Of course, I just I would just relaying a question. Yeah, I've I've never heard of it either until just now. Uh, but uh, it was kind of fascinating. But before I got sidetracked on UFOs and that, I was telling <laughs> you the, the 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 little secret that that no one knows is that when my eight partners and I, all of whom were NASA and McDonnell Douglas engineers down in Houston, when we formed Cygnus, the purpose for it was to write and sell a space shuttle simulator. I mean, we we worked on the space shuttle, and and the uh, actually in Starfleet, the master alarm is the same alarm that, that you hear on the space shuttle. What? And and we we wrote a uh, I mean I we actually had a a uh, simulator that we were developing, uh, but then and we thought well Starfleet's almost ready to go so we can generate some money with that while we finish off the simulator. Well, Starfleet took off and had a life of its own, and we never did finish the uh, space shuttle simulator. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! But, but they've done it for you. I'll send. Oh you yeah, one. yeah, it has been, has been done <laughs> since then. Now I have to ask about Starfleet Two. Uh, that's what's on the video right now. If folks haven't seen when that. Now that game was amazingly ambitious, <laughs> especially for its time, because you had planetary landings, you had cargo transfers between uh, between ships. Uh, you you uh, you had random generated galaxies and systems with multiple planets. So how did you go from this like kind of more focused tactical game, which was Starfleet One, to this expansive, like universe conquering, planetary exploding? Because you could blow up planets in Starfleet Two, you guys, you totally could. Um, how did you go from Starfleet One to this much much bigger thing that was Starfleet Two? Well. When I was working on the Fortran version of Starfleet, and we had uh, uh, basically it was Starfleet One with with uh, some extras added, like we had the Starfleet newspaper and the logs, auto logs, and stuff. <laughs> uh, sorry, that that was my phone. Uh, no, speaking of planets, just, just, just a sec. I'm going to to mute, mute you for just a moment. That's pr- no problem, uh, folks. Uh, Emperor is calling. Yeah, the answer's going. No, <laughs> folks, uh, on the phone. Uh, he has so to pick we, we up his... Palpatine's behind that, it all. Uh, that project. The, this is the secret project that we didn't know. <laughs> we have to... Uh, he has to pick up his daughters in a little bit. <coughs> Death Star. Yeah. So, yeah, luckily yeah. none of us are both in... Yeah, he has to pick up his daughters from the Death Star. That's exactly what's Okay, happened. sorry okay. sorry about that. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but anyway, we had the, the the Starfleet, and which was simplified in order to put it on the IBM PC. But while I was, um, I got to the point where I, I'd been working on the space shuttle software, the the simulators, uh, the design software for space shuttle, which was written in Fortran, not the flight software, the design software. And I noticed how they did things in the code, which made more sense than the spaghetti code I had just sort of accumulated with Starfleet 1. So I rewrote it, and there were things that I wanted to add in, like planets and different ship types and, and landing parties and things like that. So I added these other features in, and I called it the X version. 
And um, at the time that we went full bore on the IBM TC, the X version was very close to being finished. And as a matter of fact, uh, the X version is very close to Starfleet Deluxe that, that we have out right now. Um, but uh, that, when, when I came time for, I designed the Starfleet series, and Starfleet 2 was going to be looking at it from the Krellan side, the enemy side. And I, I thought of all the things I really wanted to see in the game, and I, I um, taught myself C and assembly language, and I thought that with those I could uh, uh, put a lot more into it than, than with the, the Fortran that I was using before, and, and that is the case. So it just evolved, and I just wanted to, to put in all the things I wanted to see in the game, with the limitations of the text graphics. And uh, I, we did have an Amiga version that was under development of Starfleet 2 uh, and also a Commodore 64 version or Commodore 128 version, but neither one of those were completed. Uh, but, I, and I wanted, you know, I hated games that were, you played it once and that was it. I wanted a game that... Um, that would be you could play it again and enjoy it and it would be different so i created the the rules under which a universe would be created but then it would randomly create within those rules and actually one of the things you probably don't realize is that the universe goes on in starfleet 2 whether you participated in it or not I mean, really? ships travel between planets, and or the war will fight, be fought between the Alliance and the Krellans, and it's just that the uh, uh, that your side probably will not win without without your participation, and and so and also like uh, I designed the uh, planetary invasion module for it because I thought that would be a really cool thing to do, and and um, my colleague, uh, Mark Baldwin, actually did the uh, the programming for that and the boarding. I designed them, and, and he uh, he actually did the, the programming. And, and another friend of mine, an uh, engineer at NASA, did the fractal generator to uh, design the, the planets. And so, you know, it, I just... And, and because um, I, I quit my job at... McDonnell Douglas so I could work and also the running of the company of Interstell so that I could uh, work on the programming full time and the actual release in 89 was two years late it was supposed to come out in 87 but it was just such an ambitious project I, I just couldn't couldn't get it done in time because there are I'll be honest there are space games today that can't do what this game does in terms of just the sheer breadth of features this thing has. And I, I think well, the as- I think I th- modern games are kind of burdened by presentation. Right. right? And but, and with this, yeah. you know, it's it's just it's all ASCII. So Which I think you know, works for this. It like it kinda oh, has that nineteen it has that eighties sci fi feel to it that you're watching you could watch like an eighties sci fi movie and they could have Starfleet two on the screen and you would totally buy it. 
you know. So yeah, you know, it, it honestly, a, a guy that I think you would really enjoy talking to is Mike Giuliano, um, because he is working on a simulation of a ship where he actually um, he is simulating the wire buses that connect the the different panels together. And, you know, so it's like you have to go through like a 10-minute startup sequence to just warm the engines on the thing. And it's it's amazing the, the, the level of integration between the systems on the ship that he simulates all this stuff. Now, with, with Starfleet 2, I actually, one of the reasons it was probably delayed a little bit is I designed a and wrote a program called Creator, which is written in assembly language. And that's how I taught myself assembly language. That uh, it's like a paint program for ASCII, and I designed all my screens in Starfleet 2 using this Creator program, and it would generate the uh, uh, you know the code and and things like that 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 I needed, uh, and it, it was it was actually a, a pretty clever little program, but uh, but I I you make it didn't sound want so simple. To, <laughs> Well, it was like back then, if you wanted the tool, you better make it because it didn't exist already. Yeah, I've, I've I made didn't a few want of those. to distract myself with learning all the graphics type things. I was more interested in the essence, the actual gameplay itself. Now, Starfleet 1 lives on because you can get it on, I believe, iOS and Android now. It's Starfleet Deluxe, if I'm remembering correctly, right? That's what you can get on mobile platforms today? Yeah, we, we actually, my um, friend Brett Keaton, who uh, did the Commodore 64 and the uh, Atari, let's see, was it the Atari ST versions of Starfleet 1, uh, he, uh, in the 90s, wanted to do uh, an updated version of Starfleet 1 uh, using Windows, and it was called, we called it Starfleet uh, SF Win for Windows. And I uh, decided that, well, yeah, that, that'd be really cool, but why don't we go ahead and just add a few more of those, those extra features? It's the same basic gameplay, but we can add other ship types and planets and boarding parties and, and things like that. So we basically took the X version and I gave him all my design notes and everything from the X version and uh, and the Fortran code and stuff and and he wrote the uh, Starfleet Deluxe for Windows and then uh, that that was in beta stage in September 2002 uh, and when he uh, committed suicide and so. Mm-hmm. And he destroyed his hard drive, and so we lost the source code for it, um, which you know was uh, was a, a real tragedy. I mean, not not for the source code, but really for my friend that, that died. And uh, but the funny thing is, we'd given it out to some play testers, and more than one of them has completed the game, even in the beta version. They've made it all the way through to. Uh, Admiral Emeritus. Uh, but then in 2011, I was contacted by this guy called Kevin Fightmaster, who was a uh, programmer in the D.C. area, and he wanted to do an Android version of Starfleet 1. And I said, well, let's let's look at Starfleet Deluxe. And so 
He actually went and we completed it uh, a couple years ago, and and it's available through Play Store, Google Play Store now. Uh, and it works and great. It, it, what? It works great. I've been playing it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty much bug free as far as I can tell. I have done Admiral Emeritus on it a couple times. It keeps track of people that play it, so you know you can upload your service record and you can see how other people are doing, which is what one of the features we had back in the original Starfleet. And was- um, but un- unfortunately, um, you know, we've only sold a few hundred of them, and and it hasn't. Uh, We'd love to do a, a uh, Starfleet 2 Deluxe. Or, That's what I was or, just about to ask about that. <laughs> I would love yeah, a we def- We definitely need to get a link to the to the Starfleet 1 Deluxe up on the on the site because I had not heard that it existed. So I, I, just, you know, I, just I think it's about an awareness it. thing. Yeah, I just it's learned about well, it recently. Ever since I had to switch over to iOS for my work phone, I've had troubles finding all of my favorite Android apps that are not there anymore. So mm. I just had to dig out my NVIDIA Shield, which is all Android, so I can get it. Yay! <laughs> nice. So, hey, I wanted to to just call attention to uh, we had a hard stop at a quarter after. Right. It's about two minutes uh, from now. We don't want to make him late. We, we can go a little bit longer than that. Okay. Well, I do have one question from the, the, um, the chat, and then I wanted to ask you about Star Legions. So, uh, some, Floridan... In the chat, wants to know: Do you still play games? Have you played games recently? Do you still play games at all? Are you still involved with games at all? Uh, my my favorite games that I have played in in recent times. Um, I'm not really playing any right now, other other than a bit of Starfleet Deluxe. But in in recent years, I really enjoyed the Starfleet Command series. Uh, the first one um, had had some major problems. Uh, two and three, I thought, were, were much better. Um, although three uh, lost a couple things, I think that they did better on on Starfleet Command Two. But but I, I really enjoyed, and I completed Starfleet Command Two. I think it was. Um, and and you know that goes back to the old original Starfleet battles. Uh, the, on the the paper and the counters and stuff back in the eighties, like seventies and eighties. Yes, yeah, one uh, of our friends actually worked actually worked on that game and is still active in that. He's I was talking to him. I I, I asked Ken if he wanted to jump in here, and uh, but he's actually printing stuff out for a convention that he's going to because he's got his own space game that's an offshoot of that now. It's kind of awesome that you played the Starfleet Command games, and I agree. The second one is pretty much the best one in the series. Yeah, absolutely. Because I I used to play on a league back in the day. Yeah, I love that game. The the uh, for for a tactical combat for the different types of ships and weapons and things like that, it it is uh, it is excellent, and and I I really enjoy it. And and the graphics are are pretty good and stuff. And uh, uh, the other game that I've sort of enjoyed playing uh, quite a bit is uh, the Caesar, Caesar 3 in particular. Uh, like oh, it. yes, yes. I love that love, game. Oh. Caesar 4 was not as good. Caesar oh, 3, really? I, you know, I completed that one all to the way to the end, and, and I really like that. Yeah, Caesar so, 2 is probably one of my first city builders. I still get so it. Clubs are needed in my head every now and again. <laughs> 
<laughs> if we got a minute to, to talk about it, I wanted to to ask about Perfect General and Empire. Oh yeah, uh, go ahead. Because Empire was, I think, the like the first computer war game I ever played, and that that was pretty awesome. So I think it was the deluxe version. So it was a little, it was like a Windows compatible version, not the DOS one. Uh, do do I my involvement in in Empire? Um, yeah, you were you were like QA on that or something, weren't you? Um, publisher. Well, what happened is when I was at NASA Ames working on Starfleet, uh, there was another very popular game called Empire that was on the uh, on the deck computers um, on the the VAX and the PDP eleven seventies and stuff, and it was so addictive. I mean, I just you know, uh, Starfleet, I think, would have been further along if I hadn't gotten hooked on, on Empire. And so um, when we started up our company, uh, Cygnus, and I, I can't remember the exact time frame, whether it was, I think it was when it was still Cygnus, maybe um, when, it, um, oh, I know, there was a, a magazine uh, might have been Computer Gaming World or one of those that came out with a survey of all the the st- the space type games or games that were available for uh, for the PC and uh, our Starfleet One was one of them and that was when ours first came out and there were a couple of <clears throat> others EGA Trek and and of some others and one of them they listed was Empire. And and uh, uh, Walter Bright was the developer of Empire, and he had uh, was marketing a, a PC version in just you know text gra- graphics like it was on the PDP eleven, and I thought oh great, and I contacted him and arranged to license Empire to to sell it uh, through my company. And uh, Mark Baldwin, who I mentioned previously, was my uh, uh, co-author on Starfleet 2. He he took Empire and uh, made it into the graphics uh, mode on the PC and also on the, uh, uh, I know, Atari 8-bit and Atari ST, I think. And, uh, and we... By this time, we were um, affiliate label with with uh, Electronic Arts, and so they they picked it up, uh, and it it actually outsold uh, Starfleet One and was uh, Computer Gaming World's Game of the Year for 1988. And one of the funny things is though that Starfleet One was a success, and we brought in this new game, <clears throat> and we thought that this was a mistake, but we thought. Well, to help this game get started, let's tie it into the Starfleet universe. So we did a background story on it and stuff, which tied it into the Starfleet universe, and it didn't need it. And and I it, right now I I regret that we did that. But uh, uh, Walter Bright though was was particularly um, uh, obsessed, or his main project was developing a C compiler. And and the uh, empire was sort of a, a sideline which which we carried for him. Now when Innistel broke up, 
in the early 90s, uh, Mark Baldwin uh, took Empire with, w- w- along with Walter Bright's permission and did uh, Empire Deluxe, which added in features that we had wanted to do for Empire, like aircraft could fly over pieces and things like that. And, um, and Mark also, about the same <clears throat> time, de- developed Perfect General, which was... Uh, uh, a uh, marketed by published by QQP, I believe. Yeah, I think I think Perfect General is uh, not only a great introductory strategy game, but probably one of the best light tactical yeah. armor games that's ever Agreed. been. Yeah, I've I played Perfect General back in when it first came out, and a few years ago, I I dug it out and I played it through again, and I I love Perfect General. I think it's it's a great fun tactical game and and uh mark baldwin for empire uh deluxe he got there was a special edition um the um like a vip edition or something where he got several game developers including myself to set up particular scenarios um with, for Empire Deluxe that people could buy and play the ones, and I designed one of them. Yeah, you know, it was actually one of the good things back in the 80s and, and early 90s, being a developer, because I'd go to the Consumer Electronics Show, and I became friends with other developers and the owners of, like, New World Computing and... and uh, uh, you know, Sid Meier and then other people, I got, became friends with them and we'd give each other games, you know, that, that we'd swap games. And so I've got a, a really large collection of, uh, mostly sci-fi and wargaming and fantasy games from that particular era. Oh man. And that was an amazing, amazing era. I mean, that's when civilization came out, and that's when... Yeah, that was that was when all the innovation happened, because it was a greenfield. Nobody had made anything. And then, you know, it's like when, when somebody made a, uh, well, like Perfect General, right? because nobody had done a tank war game that was hex-based like that yet. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, Gary Grigsby owes all his money to that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's... it's the uh, the innovation that could happen then, and then we look at the games that are happening now. Like whenever I look at StarCraft or Total Annihilation or you know any of those games, I trace that right back to Empire, because Command while Empire was turn based, yeah, exactly. While Empire was turn based, they took that same formula, spun it into real time because computers could handle it then, and uh, you know so so yeah, it's it's obviously you know the parentage of of everything that's come since. One one more thing I'd, I'd like to sort of share with you is how I almost became a millionaire with uh, with the the Starfleet series, and uh, that is in um, the early nineties when when I had left Interstellar and we formed a a uh, computer development company called Supernova Creations, and that's where Star Legions was developed and then published by Minecraft. Um, I was contacted by uh, Buena Vista Software, uh, in other words, the Disney folks, and uh, a couple of the managers there had fallen in love with the Starfleet series, 
and they asked to to meet me at a consumer electronics show now they had rented an apartment for the the week or so and and I went and visited them and we talked and they wanted to pick up the Starfleet series under the Buena Vista label and and you basically develop it and of of course you know I I was I was more than thrilled uh to do this and they put together a contract you know which uh in the end would have been worth you know millions of dollars but uh they they put together a contract um uh, and um they're in contact with me and they were about to send me a copy of the contract to review and and then we could sign it and then all of a sudden i i got a uh, a phone call that they were going to have to drop uh the starfleet idea the disney board of directors had had a meeting and they had decided that they were going to limit their software to disney properties only Ugh. and so uh you know if they'd had the board of directors meeting like a, a week or a month later then we would have had this deal signed and and uh disney would have been producing the starfleet series but oh well some someday we'll tell you the story about Treasure Planet and Disney. <laughs> we we got a friend that also worked on a Disney product, and yeah. it was just they gave him no marketing budget. It, it was like they they poured all this effort into the game, and then Disney chose to forget that it existed. Yeah. And it's actually a really great game it's too. Really it's a, it's kind of tragic that they didn't let anybody know that it existed. So let's let's talk about the last game, uh, Star Legions. How did that come to pass? Uh, because that's basically the ground invasion portion of Starfleet 2 as its own game. Well, Star Legions is basically, uh, in Starfleet 2, there was a game within a game. I mean, it, it switched over to graphics mode instead of text mode and, and was, was a, a whole game uh, within itself. And when we um, came, we formed this this company, Supernova Creations. I really wanted to expand on that, and the Minecraft that we we're talking with really liked the idea of uh, of having this planetary invasion game. So uh, we went ahead, and uh, uh, it was mostly Brett Keaton and his partner and I developed it, formed it into a standalone game that, that was still within the Starfleet universe and everything, and it was in graphics mode and, and everything like that. And and uh uh and I I personally love um Star Legions. I, I think it's a, a great game and, and you know there there are a few things that we could have done better, but uh one of the problems when you're associated with a large company like Electronic Arts, they have deadlines. They want this out in time for the Christmas market. And so we had to ship it before we were quite ready uh, for it. It's a great it. way to kill games, EA. Yeah. And and as a result, it went out and had some fatal bugs in it, and which is why we uh, had to develop a couple patches. But... With with the patches, um, you know they are. It's a it's a really good and, and really uh, playable game. So, 
and I'd actually be interested in doing uh, Star Legion's Deluxe sometime too. Well, you did send a copy, so I'm looking forward to trying it because I, I completely, I apologize, I completely missed it <laughs> the first time around. I think it's because I also wasn't into ground-based strategy games at the time. It was all spaceships or nothing. Well, we did have spaceships in orbit that would do planetary bombardments, and the on the ground I had uh, PDPs, planetary defense phases that would shoot up at your your ships, and it, it was a lot like uh, Starship Troopers. I mean, the the concept of those those big uh, uh, troop ships that would drop drop ships down and and uh, invade is very similar to that. Kind of reminds me of uh, Emperor of the Fading Suns. Which is a, a favorite a around bit. here. A little bit, yeah. That's another. Although game. was it was it before that or did it was did before it come that? After? It was about three years before that. It okay. it came out in uh, ninety two, I believe. Oh, four the Star years. Legions. Yeah, four years before Emperor of the Fading Suns. So you yeah. did all this stuff before other people did all this stuff. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think everybody owes you royalties now or something. <laughs> right? yeah. Like you did, a bat- you did a Battle Cruiser 3000 game seven years before there was an actual Battle Cruiser 3000 game. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, so if folks want to play either of these, I mean, they can get Starfleet Deluxe on the Android store. Uh, but where is there a place they can find Starfleet 2 or Star Legions legally? I don't think there is. Yeah, the uh, the um, what is the the old dog um, uh, the the there there are a couple sites that specialize. Oh yeah, the underdogs. Underdog, that's it. Yeah, uh, you can download, and I know a lot of people have downloaded Starfleet One and Two, and and that that's perfect. No one really owns those. Uh, I mean, you know, I own the rights to them, but you know they're. They're, they aren't available for sale anywhere, so I have no problem with people downloading oh. them. All right, I'll definitely link to them then, because I think especially Starfleet 2 is a game people need to play to see not only how ambitious it was, but just even in today's age, you could release this on Steam today as like a space-conquering roguelike, basically, and and it would it would sell. On Steam today, just like this with ASCII graphics, because that would be charming. <laughs> that would be retro. <laughs> yeah, the retro thing is definitely back. So, right? And bell-bottom jeans and, and everything came yeah, with it, Yeah, you could put too. this on Steam, and it would, I, for like, if you put this on Steam for 4 to $7, you'd sell a buttload of them. I'm not even kidding. You should totally do that. I'd well, how, how do you uh, manage to do something like that? I don't know. <laughs> That's not my forte. But seriously. But it's cause... mine. I'll, I'll clue you. <laughs> okay. If you can send me any info on that, I'll, I'll look into it. Because, oh, absolutely. You know, it costs 100 bucks. I'll tell you right now, um, Starfleet 1 sold, you know, old versions sold about 100,000 games. Uh, which wasn't too bad for for back in those days. Um, Starfleet Two only sold twenty five thousand because it was uh, in three months because it was pulled off the market due to the uh, the fatal bugs. Again, it was the the Christmas rush that got us on that, and and it was never released or sold again. Only the the patches were available through Interstell. Um, and I think Star Legions probably end up selling about twenty five thousand or something as as well. You know, they they were relatively uh, small sellers. 
but uh, but you know I would love for for people to have the chance to play because you know my real pride and joy is Starfleet too. Uh, that's the one I'm probably most proud of because you know I, I guess a lot of people don't really realize what actually it can do and what's in it. It does so much. You could like send away teams to different planets and they'll build a base and then they could monitor that space station, that space system. And then if there are enemy ships that go through that sp- system, they'll tell you about it and you can beam down supplies and it, and you can beam over boarding part. It's crazy what you can do with that game. And, and you have, uh, escort destroyers and you can set different formations, uh, with, for your, and send them on different missions and stuff to, to help you. And, and uh, you can, you know, tow enemy ships and deliver them into your star forts and, and yeah. Yeah, this there, needs, to, this needs to hit GOG and Steam. This needs to hit GOG and Steam for five ninety nine. People would buy it. I'm not even kidding you. People would buy it. I would buy it. I would buy it, <laughs> I would buy it on both Steam and GOG. Absolutely. Because he's we, crazy. We, yeah. We've hit the uh, the hour mark, and I really right. do have to go pick my daughters up, or they'll uh, give me hell. So. Yeah, yeah, family first. So, Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time to give us this amazing history lesson, not only in the Starfleet uh, series, but, like, gaming in general, really, back in the day. Like, a lot of people forget, like, gaming's humble beginnings, you know? So it's really great to be reminded of that. Right, so when, when you said you were working on the satellites and, and the space shuttle and stuff, were you actually doing, like, the the uh, assembler code for, like, the flight systems and that, or what? No, um, when when I was a guidance and control engineer, I was, uh, I was running software to determine uh, what would happen if the shuttle lost main engines on on ascent liftoff i was an assistant to the flight directors i wrote a paper on uh rendezvous techniques and things like that uh after i left the flight director's office i became a software engineering manager and my job or my team's job was to um basically document the ascent design system it was all written fortran and the space vehicle dynamic simulator which was their on-orbit simulator it'd been written but hadn't been documented uh, very well and so we our job was to go back into the code and and document it oh yeah the guy that i sit next to at work is greg boyd's his name um and he's uh he wrote missile guidance stuff for the for the military back in the same time frame so I don't know if maybe you guys have run into each other or something, but anyways, um, all right, well, we'll let you get. All right. Well, you can, you can go if you, if you want, man, I got some, we got some uh, housekeeping stuff to do to wrap up. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I actually have, uh, you know, several more stories, but I, I just, uh, we'll ran have out of to time, bring you, so. we'll have to bring you back. We'll bring you back. This, yeah. We'll bring you back. Dude. We'll bring you back once, uh, the Starfleet games hit steam. We'll bring you back. Cause we're going to, I mean, it. I haven't told you about the, uh, when I was working at NASA Ames, the time that we broke into Stanford university in order to play their, uh, their real-time Trek game, but... Uh, <laughs> Tell that. us that story next time you're on. We have I to have you back. This. I don't know where, <laughs> but we're like going to have you back. Mission. It was. It was cool. Well, thank okay. you so, thank you nice so much, you. Trevor. Okay, right, bye-bye. Awesome. Bye. Oh, that, was that was amazing. That was cool. Why don't we do I this every week? So, I learned so much. 
that wasn't just an interview. That was a history lesson, you guys. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a treatise. That was a that was an essay Flor- on Florida. Florida. Next time we'll pressure him a little bit more about the aliens. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's never aliens. Yeah, he didn't talk about the aliens, which is sad. Um, well, you're not you're not allowed to, right? It'll be yeah, it'll come out someday. Not. So, folks, you can get Starfleet the original on Android uh, if you want. It's called Starfleet Deluxe. It's what two ninety nine, three ninety nine, something like that. Uh, even though the original game was very text, like keyboard heavy, they've modified it so it works great on a screen. I've been playing it. It really, it's a very satisfying tactical starship experience. Seriously, it, it's one of the best of its type. Not even kidding. Uh, Starfleet Two. I'm gonna have links to this in the show notes and everything. But Starfleet Two. Apparently now we're just gonna link to places you can download it. Because. Uh, awesome. Yeah, what were those links for Killer Bees that you sent in the middle of oh, the thing? Dude, I don't know if you noticed. They sell Empire Deluxe and Perfect General. Oh, they sell it? I thought it was just a straight down. No, they thing. sell it. Oh, they interesting. It. I know. I know. So, uh, yeah, folks, you guys should check out especially Starfleet 2 because this game is ambitious as fuck. And it's Well, so... how did they – oh, man, you blew it. You blew it. We had an F bomb free podcast until that uh, moment. Hey, you know what? I am getting better. I'm getting better. I, I give me that at least. That was the only F bomb. He behaved while he was here. Well, you're good. He he's such a great guy. I couldn't not. I know, right? He's like, sit down. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Just, just Grandpa, you can you tell us about the aliens? <laughs> you drop an F bomb, he'd take off his belt and tan right? you. Oh my god. So, uh, folks. <laughs> Uh, for Thursday, I don't know if we're going to stream. Hunter wants to do the ship. I don't own it. I don't know if I want to buy it. It doesn't look like my kind of game. I'm not sure. Yeah, a- we need Okay, if we're going to do the ship, here's the deal. Uh-huh. We need at least four. Four is the absolute minimum to play that game and actually uh-huh. enjoy it. I wish it had bots. If we could play with it more than four, I would actually be like more excited. But this is going to be something that we should probably plan, not just be like, hey, we're randomly just going to do this yeah, game. Yeah, let's, let's plan we should, it. like... Get like like get at least four, maybe eight people in. Because I'll be honest, uh, let's let's talk real quick about what we've been playing. Uh, I, I kind of want to roll into a Thursday a bit. Hunter, what have you been playing lately? You know the answer to this question. Uh, no. Well, I may, I might, but the audience doesn't. Uh, I've been playing um, an obnoxious, an obnoxious amount of Eve Online. Um, <laughs> That's like EverQuest I- in space, right? Yeah, there's uh there's a lot going on. We've um anybody's welcome to join us. I've actually uh we've got Cloud Vault's been playing with us a little bit. Uh I've got my some of my old buddies that are back on it again, like uh, Lance Criminal and Samagios, those guys are back in. Um We've also got another community that we've been kinda linking up with and doing some stuff, which is um the XP gamers. Like we've been uh playing with some of their community. Um, so I have a Citadel up in a system for everybody to use, which is pretty nice. But, uh, anybody from the Space Game Junkie community is welcome to join us. We're having lots of fun. We've been doing some wormhole stuff. We've been doing a lot of PVE stuff and we're getting ready to go start doing some low sec, uh, roaming games, uh, in the next couple of weeks. So should be a good time. Well, I'm definitely going to jump back in once they, uh, once they unveil the alpha clones. Yes, yeah, Nove- November November is when the Alpha clones come out. That's exciting. And you know, you know, it's better than than Eve, Elite. And Elite just had a yeah. two point yeah. two beta I, I came wanted, out today. Yep, two point two today. 
And so I'm, see, uh, I'm installing see. it even now. So, so elite, right? Like, uh, <laughs> what can you actually do in elite? Well, now they have pa- now they have That's passenger what? missions, and there are different types of passengers. Like, apparently, there are terrorist passengers and VIP passengers and business passengers. And if so you, if you a- get like an asshole, can you just listen. push him out the airlock? And he can system? actually use an does, escape pod. Does, does elite have male exotic dancers? Because Eve does. Uh, no. And that appeals to you? Why? Because it's a thing, and it's real, and it's in a game, and I find that funny. It's not that I need it, it's just that occasionally when you go and fight NPCs, like, you, like, go and loot one of them, and it's just like, here's ten male exotic dancers, and I'm like, what? Alright, that's as, a thing. As a former Chippendale, I find that offensive. I don't believe you. Oh. Uh, Joan's either. chipping in. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. She's she's chipping the Dale. What? Yikes! But uh, no, I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of Elite, uh, or not Elite, but uh, Eve Online lately, and uh, that's been kind of it mostly since over the last couple weeks. What about you, yeah, Jim? I've been I've been playing a lot of Ark because the Scorched Earth expansion came out, and I set it up on my server, and I kind of did a little bit of cheat mode stuff so that we weren't completely miserable in there. Cause you're supposed to be like high level characters and then you transition over. But we started just like, you know, newbies in there. So it was like die from heat stroke every five minutes, not even kidding. And, uh, <laughs> so I got a little bit of air conditioning going and a roof over our heads. And then we've been playing it fairly legit after that. Um, figured out how to do some architecture, getting a giant ramp, because ramp building is is nutty, stupid in this thing. I I prefer like space engineers or you know games that build like that where it makes sense. Um, this this thing is just oh, it's so weird about how things line up and and whatnot. So it's like if I go into build mode, it's it's like I turn the cheats on and then it's just like okay, I'm gonna just like lay this thing out and see if it works or what. Because like I I end up tearing the building down about ten times, and if I had to actually build all that crap by hand, it would be madness. I'd be throwing my keyboard across the room. But we're having fun, so you know it's uh, it's decent. So you guys might be surprised to hear what I've been playing a lot of lately. I I know what you've been playing, but tell us. Homefront: The Revolution. Yep. Really? How you liking it? How you really? So did you did you play it on love the, the it. it was the demo-y thing? No, he's got the, it, got it. No, I bought the, it. Is this Amazon. the first home front or the second? No, this, this is, is the, the new second. one. This is the second oh, okay. one. Where uh, North Koreans have taken over Philadelphia, which what what my hometown. Yeah. Uh it, did you play the first one? No, I never played the first one. I heard it wasn't uh, very you should good. Play the first one. It was actually okay. Really? After but, they patched the shit out of it, but yeah. Yes, after they patch. Well, and that's well, the deal with, with apparently this one that's too. yeah. That's apparently that's the second one as well. But uh, I love open world you games. Try the co-op multiplayer. Oh, yeah, the co-op multiplayer is actually quite good in there. And the first one, that. Oh, the first one, yeah, or the second uh, one? no, the second one. Um, that's what I've heard. I've heard, I've heard it's really good. And then your character kind of levels up and stuff. But it's uh, it'll be like okay, we have to go here and plant explosives. And blow this thing up, and then when the military is distracted because they're all going to run over there, then we're going to run over here and steal this convoy. So it's objective stuff, and the team has to work together. And you know, because if anybody gets stupid, y'all get dead. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, Dan and I played it. Uh, oh, I don't know. We put a good six hours into it. One of the you know that Saturday when it was free, um, it was decent. I, I couldn't see buying it just for the co-op, but the story was damn good. 
I'm enjoying the story. What I love about it is that the map is so dynamic. Like, you'll be running around. Like, there's a mission 500 clicks away. But there's a North Korean stronghold right here that yeah. I could just take out. And the, and the did snipe. You, and, what's, go ahead. Did, uh, did you see that, um, that miniseries that's on TV called The Colony? It's not a miniseries, though. Well, it's a well, not a miniseries. It's a it's a series series. I guess it's going a second season. Yeah, it's Colony. Colony. Season two starts uh, sometime early next year, I think. Okay, so if you take Homefront and just add aliens on top, right? Like it's Colony. Yeah, you don't see right. It, it's that because uh, it was over in about five minutes. We lost, and then they've taken other humans and basically recruited the humans to be their middlemen. Right, so they so they've got this. But what's amazing about it is if you look at the armor. I don't know about in Homefront Revolution, but in the first Homefront, the armor. Yeah, that's that, what exactly that, what I and, thought. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, it's the alien dudes from the <laughs> from the colony. It, they look identical. Oh wow. yeah, it's because they got the the red hats or whatever. I guess the, the yeah, well, the, it's, it's the like whole, the armor and yeah. Yeah, well, and they also um, another thing that's reminiscent of that is the uh, the elites in XCOM Two, the the soldier dudes, their captains that run around. Um, those guys kind of look like that too. So maybe that's just a common thing. Like aliens always have like red red armored stormtroopers or something. Well, it's kind of like if you were to take uh, the Homefront game and uh, Half Life and cross them over, right? Because Half Life also oh, yeah. Half Life very... they had the 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 Combine soldiers who were actually yep. like human converted people or whatever. For yeah, it gives soldiers. me that vibe too. It 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 really feels, especially the first game. It feels like you're running around City Seventeen, and honestly, somebody should do that for a Half Life mod. Just have like we're Resistance fighters in City Seventeen, right? We don't need any Gordon Freeman here. With no gravity gun, none of that shit. Just head crabs and resistance missions. Yep, I'd I'd play a mod of of that. But anyway, I, yep. uh, seriously, Homefront. I'm telling you, it's like yeah, there's a mission 500 clicks away, but there's all this stuff going on. I gotta save these guys, and there's a there's a. So it's total open world now. Huh? It's it's total open world. It, it reminds me of uh, Infamous. I don't know if you've played the Infamous games, but it reminds me of Infamous in that you're slowly taking over a map bit by bit from the bad guys. Like, because there are zones, and like you start off in a red zone, and that's like shoot on sight. But you could take certain strongholds back and slowly turn it into a, like a green zone, uh, which is what I've been doing. So, like, there are story missions, but I've only done like one of or two of them. <laughs> I've been spending most of my time like, hey, I want that. Uh, I want that plant over there for our side. Oh, I've got a new uh, scope on my rifle. Okay, headshot, headshot, headshot. One of the things that one of the things that you and I talked about doing, Brian, was doing a side by side comparison with um, Toxic and Unreal Tournament, and and giving those a comparison. So we should try one of those on a Thursday night. Yeah. Speaking of to- uh, Toxic, um, so the game's free to play now. And I went on, and the servers are surprisingly dead, even even with free to play. So it's, I guess it's like Unreal is the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. It's it's kind of hard to get yeah, attention the, around the, that. The problem with Unreal though is is it's like a third party application that you have to download just to get it. Yeah, yeah. it was a bit weird. 
But I like Toxic. It's cool. I go in. I played against bots because there was just no humans to play. Um, but even the bots are good. Like Unreal bots were the best bots. And oh God, these guys yes. aren't too shabby. Unreal, yeah, Unreal um, bots so are the, hard as shit sometimes. Yeah, oh I guess God. the new patch is going to put all the vehicles in, which is going to oh. be great. Because I want something that's like, you know, honestly, with Toxic, I think what they ought to do is don't clone Unreal, clone Halo. Because you're damn near there, right? Like, just put some warthogs and stuff in and just make it, <laughs> make it Halo. And you'll get all those people that so desperately wish that they could play Halo. So speaking of Halo, I installed Arc or uh, Forge rather um, on my machine, right? Is that a and, Halo game? Uh, it's actually it, if you go in the Windows Store and you download the Halo Forge, Windows it 10. is the it's it's the level creator for Halo on the Xbox One. But but it does have multiplayer. But there's no matchmaking. I couldn't find any way to to find a lobby or anything. It was just like I'm in a lobby. You know, there's four player slots or whatever. Invite your friends. Uh, okay, but there's there's no like here's a list of games that are going on or find me a game or anything like that. So apparently, their idea was people have been clamoring for. I wish that I could edit Halo levels on the PC instead of the console. So this was their solution to that. Interesting solution. Yeah, I just wish it was the whole damn game. Like, just please, just make it the whole damn game. I'll pay you 60 bucks and we'll call it done. <laughs> I think this is supposed to be their, like, let's test the waters thing. And that's why it's probably as minimal as it is, because there is the the map maker, which makes it yeah. easy. And so then it's also like, well, we we can put this, this uh, multiplayer portion in there, too, to test out the maps that you make. But we're not going to go as far as, like, give you servers and, like, the multiplayer, like, matchmaking stuff. So it's almost like they're saying if you want it, you really got to want it. And you got to play it and you got to do it. Because they're bringing Halo Wars 2 to the PC because there's already a thing in that Halo app for the the, the store. I don't know if you saw, but there's, like, already, like, a ticker box for where Halo Wars 2 is going to be. Yeah, I saw that. So so how about this? They They announced tomorrow... $80, you get the entire uh, Halo Legacy collection, right? A- every One, Halo game? Whatever. Every Halo game, 80 bucks on PC. I'd buy it. Yeah, I mean, maybe not five, because they're still selling at full price at 60 right? So so one through four, right? And Does that include Reach and ODST? Yeah. I- I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Yep, as would I. Um, and playing this Halo 5 thing on the PC, God, it feels good. Like it, it does, never felt that it? good on the console. Never felt no, that good. On the it, console. It, it surprisingly, to be honest with you, dude, it feels like the original Halo One on the PC, except yes. for it looks it looks like the new Call of Duty, but it feels yeah. like old school Halo on the PC, which is good because old school Halo on the PC actually played well. Yeah. Hey, so Halo Two on the PC, which which was the last Halo that came out on the PC, is that still runnable? Can can you find it somewhere and get it to run? Because I knew it had to be, yes. like, you, you had to have, what, like, uh, ah, God, that crappy yes, operating system. So, so you had to have Vista originally to play it, because you couldn't have yeah. Windows XP. So you could have Vista, you had to have, it was it was kind of like what they're doing now. Like, if you want to play any of the new stuff, you have to get Windows 10. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. like that with, with, uh, with Halo 2. Here's the problem that, that Halo 2 has. It was a bad port. Okay. Like, I, I, I found a copy of it online. 
I and to 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 test this out because I wanted to see if you could still play Halo 2 the PC version on the PC and the optimization was just god awful. Now there might be somebody out there that has an optimized version of 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 Halo 2 that you can probably play. I don't know where. Like somebody did a whole optimization thing for SWAT 4. You can play SWAT 4 right now on Windows 10 because people out there are cool. But if there's a community that has Halo 2 that is playable on the PC, please let me know, because I would like to play it, because Halo 2 is probably my favorite of the trilogy. Well, I just found uh, Halo 1 on PC with working multiplayer, apparently. Yeah, it's like, the original Un- it's, like the Un- it's like the original Unreal uh, for PC. Like, there's just people that still play that, and they're, like, as soon as you spawn in, they're sniping you. Gee, that sucks. Here's something yeah, I else just, that I don't know if you guys are aware of that I wanted to bring up since it's a it's a PC, it's gaming, it's cool. Um, but the PlayStation uh, PlayStation Now stuff is for the PC, and mm-hmm. they have um, it's like a bunch of PlayStation Three games that you stream to your computer, and they have a seven day free trial that I'm thinking about trying out. But here's the here's the freaking weird thing: their subscription for a month is twenty dollars. Yeah. Which is yeah. ridiculous. Mm. I mean, they have they have for three months. You can get it for forty five dollars for three months, which is like fifteen bucks a month, kind of a thing, kind of like wouldn't an it, MMO. Wouldn't but it be bitching if you were just a PlayStation Plus member and you got it? And then it's like PlayStation Plus. If you own the game, you can stream it to your PC. It'd, it'd be nice. It makes uh-huh. it does it makes sense. You know, but I mean, see, this is like the test, right? This ushers in for like fifth generation of consoles will be, uh, uh, what's that box that you got, Brian? That sits out on the TV, the the Steam, Steam whatever. Steam Link, yeah, yeah, Steam Link. So the next Sony PlayStation will be a Steam Link. That's all. I it mean, will it's, be. It's, be a jo- it's it'll be a USB port and a modem. Dude, it's it's highly possible considering that Microsoft is is finally, finally like pushing for gaming on Windows again. I mean, did you guys see the Gears of War four trailer? Nope. Jesus, that looks amazing, and it's coming to Windows ten. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Is it going to be one of the ones that's got uh, cross play as well? If you buy it one place, you play it both places. Yes, and it's going to have split screen capability for the PC, which which is interesting because as of right now, I have the Nvidia Shield console which I can stream all of my PC gaming into the living room. And the other weekend, my buddy came to visit, my buddy Donnie came to visit, and we actually played Portal 2 streaming off my PC because Portal 2 supports local co-op on the PC. Oh wow. Split know. screen. So, that's so we were cool. able to we were able to stream that to my with like zero lag to my uh, living room projector. So what about this? Um, will it let you play if you're in the same LAN? Could one person be on the PC and one person be on the actual console? And see, that's the thing. That would be the right because then you could sit out there with your laptop and you could both be in the same game. See, that's the pro- that's the problem because the main machine is doing all the horsepower. So when I'm actually streaming into there, it's actually on this screen. I just have the monitor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Off. So yeah, anyway. that's unfortunate. But well, but the thing is, like the the PlayStation stuff, it's actually rendering it in the cloud, right? It's not. It's 
like if you subscribe to their twenty dollar a month service, they spin a server up on that's running a PlayStation emulator. Yeah, which I'd really like to understand how that technology works because all the gaming streaming services that I've ever tried have just not been that great. But can you imagine what would happen if that emulator leaked online? All I want, really, guys, is Midnight Club Los Angeles on my PC. That's really all I fucking want. I mean, I don't know why that's so hard to ask. I, if, if PlayStation was it now, they got that, I might do it. <laughs> do, you, do you need the dub edition or just standard? No, that's Midnight Club 3 you're thinking of. And Midnight Club Los Angeles is amazing. Like, so good. Like, they nailed Los Angeles. They really did. Like, yeah, that shit. was the game that I couldn't find because we hit it on top of the clock in the hallway because when my nephews were here, they were so obsessed with it that I had to hide the disc. And then we found it, like, a couple years later because it oh, was no. like, where the hell did it go? Oh, no. <laughs> but, yes, it, it honestly, man, like, driving around in that game, it's it's like I've been to L.A. and it's like, hey, I know that place. Exactly. You know, it's like they got it like right on. Like this, oh, the the names of things on. are changed, but if it's if it's there, it's really there. Yeah, they they nailed it. It's it's so impressive, and it's actually a fun race. On top of that, yeah. Now, hey, speaking I, of uh, of L.A. and cars and stuff, have you played any more yeah. GTA Five? Not much. Not really. No. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it's not that I don't like it. It's that. I don't know. It's like I like the kind of gritty guerrilla warfare of a game like Homefront more. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, but but Hunter and I are crime bosses now. See, we have our own office, <laughs> and you can take a helicopter to the roof like your Dillinger and Tron. Hey, did you, my... see, did you see the, um, the, um, the mod, the realistic mod that came out, like the Halo 5 redone that just changes everything? No. GTA 5, you mean? Yeah, it, well, it. I said Halo. The, GTA GTA Five looks amazing with this new mod, but the, the downside is is you can't use it multiplayer unless you have a hacked server. Yeah. So what's going on with that hack server project? Is it? Uh, well, are they still? We'll talk, we'll talk off screen. Okay. Well, I didn't mean like our personal one because there isn't one. I I just meant yeah. like. You know, well, the, there's there's the there's the uh, they're they're still developing it. Yeah, I mean, you can download the their their server and their client. Uh, essentially, you have to own a legit copy of the game, and then it, what it does is it pulls certain files out of the legit copy, and it makes it so that you connect to um, like an IP address version of the online server. But the thing is, though, is if you want to run your own, you have to like run scripts on it to make it run like a legit server. So like you have to like custom do all these scripts just to make things spawn right, just to be able to make your own character, to do the money system, the missions. Yeah, so like they the have whole to thing. reverse so engineer like all the things. Well, it's that not happen. it's not necessarily a reverse engineering. It's just like they're the server that they released is is a base server, and if you want to do any of the others, so like you can like spawn in it and like steal a car and just drive around, but there's nothing else you can do. You can't make any money. You can't can't uh, do any of the the CEO stuff, but it's all there. You just, it's not like turned on, so you actually have to use these scripts that like call for the files to like do the stuff. And so that's not in the server that you download. You have to actually like write the scripts yourself to do it. Tedious. Jeez. Yeah. But you know, someone will do it, and then they'll pass it around, and then we'll there's a have- there's a community. You can you can find it. There's a community. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I just wish that Rockstar would embrace that shit. 
you know, and just be like, hey, if you're going to run your own private servers, that's great because you bought the game from us and we don't give a shit. The the only problem is but, you're not buying shark cards from them. Right, and, and that's exactly how they make their money now is shark cards. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Okay, so somebody did the math on and the all the free, card shit. all the free, all the free stuff too. Because every time they come out with like a new patch or an update or some new like game feature, it's free. Yeah, it's free, but it costs a shit ton of in-game currency that you would be okay. So a guy figured out to grind out three million dollars to get a yacht. Right? Um, he figured out that it's sixty hours of grinding if you do continuous grind. At, at like the normal payouts for missions and stuff, the the only way you could actually make money a lot faster would be uh, if you do the um, whatever that challenge is, where you have to do all the heists in order. Nobody dies once, right? It's like what five heists and there's four missions per, so you have to do like twenty hours of content with nobody getting shot, and then everybody gets like a yeah, million. Good luck with that. Yeah, and you only get a million dollars. It's like, okay, you, you ground for 20 hours if you were perfect for a million dollars. Or you can pull your shark card out and it's, what, 10, 10 bucks per million or something like that? Is the exchange rate some, some crap? So in order to buy a yacht, you're 30 bucks in, right? Which is why people are desperate to find money glitches and stuff for this game. If you, if you go search uh, for, like, GTA Five money glitch... Or whatever, and the and the current patch number. There's like a, a thousand YouTube videos that are all bullshit, you know. But it but it'll be like some kid showing you this obscure weird thing that he did, where it's like, okay, you park the car here, and then you climb up on top of this air conditioner, and then you, you uh, stand on the building and you take a picture of that sign over there, and then you set a waypoint here. And, I, and I'm watching this this kid do this for like I don't know, forty five minutes. Or something, and then he ended up with like, uh, I think like 1.4 million or something. The, the the glitch was legit, right? But it's just like, wow, that's I couldn't even take notes fast enough, and there's no way I'm going to do that. But it's like, how the hell did you figure this out? Like all this weird shit that you have to do. How did anybody put that together? weird yeah i don't know dude like people have uh crazy ass amounts of time to be able to figure out all these glitches and here's like one for you too like i was thinking about this the other day calling back to eve online is uh i've been doing these things called incursions in eve right and incursion incursions are pve uh events that you do with other players and so you form up a fleet and you go into these events and you you kill all the bad guys and you destroy the tower at the end, and when you've blown up the tower, you get like um, a 35 million isk payout, and then like 10% of that goes to your corporation or whatever your corporate tax is, right? So, since I am the CEO of my own corporation in the game, uh, like I get all the tax money as well. So it's just like I get all that, all that 35 million. But the thing is, though, is these guys that have that run these fleets like 24/7 throughout all of New Eden. They they have like the system down. They're like, okay, we're gonna go into this room. The uh, the close quarters combat guys are gonna hit these guys. The snipers are gonna hit these guys, and then the lodges are gonna keep them up. And then once you're done with that, you're gonna go into the next room, and then you're gonna kill these guys, but leave all these other guys alive, and then just blow up the tower. And it's just like, well, why don't we want to shoot those other guys? Well, if you kill some of those other guys, they'll spawn in new NPCs that we have to deal with. So they like know like someone's come up with like which ones to kill, which ones not to kill to like 
run the rooms like the fastest to get the most money out of it. And I'm just like, who figured out who who like originally figured out like the the like the things to shoot and kill? Like just trial and error, but like the formula for that just amazes me. Hello? Sorry. Yep. I, I honestly don't know what you guys are talking about. Oh, he's talking about the incursion mission stuff. Oh. So, yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it know, up. Man. Let's wrap it up. Uh, so, folks, I think I'm going to do some home front on Thursday. And then we might or, we'll probably arrange a ship in a week or two. Let's do that. I'll get a copy. And then we'll uh, do that in a week or two once we make sure we get four people. Does that sound good? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. You know what we ought to play is Guns of Icarus, really. But well, if we're going to do Guns of Icarus, yeah, yeah either wait for the expansion to come out, or we have to have at least like at least eight people to do like a ship versus a ship or something like that. Like we need to make that a community event. Agreed. But uh, so, folks, next week on the show, last uh, programming note, uh, we're having an early show because we're talking to the folks who are making Dual Universe. That kind of exciting Minecrafty Eve Online MMO thing they're currently kickstarting right now. They are currently kickstarting it, right? I'm I'm remembering that correctly. Yes, right? they are. Yeah. Uh so we're gonna talk to them. It's gonna be an early morning show because they're in Paris or somewhere. They're somewhere overseas. They're somewhere over there. So we're gonna get up at I'm gonna get up at six AM to talk to them. It's gonna be great. And um, what else is going on? Oh, by the way, last thing. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes. But there's a campaign right now that you can buy Space Game Junkie branded socks. Tube socks. Uh, no, crew socks. And the proceeds will go toward making Space Game Junkie even better. Like maybe getting a thing where I can capture console games so I can finally do We're going to make Space Game Junkie great again. Oh, God, don't you. Oh. What about the thong, dude? You, you totally ignored no, the woo thong. I didn't ignore it. I, I outright disregarded it. <laughs> I heard you. I just said no, mentally. Uh, <laughs> I just rejected the idea. Uh, anyway, folks, that was a great show, you guys. So thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Good night. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Do a thing. <laughs> Yeah.